Hello, and this is number four podcast of Just Don't Kill Yourself Today. And this is Farley, and I sat down with a good friend, Frank Sopper, and we had a great conversation about learning differences, the way you learn, the odyssey, and so much more. Sit down with the beverage and enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. How are you doing today? I'm great, Charlie. It's so great to talk to you. I miss you. I, I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is nice. This is great to reconnect. Where are you from, Frank? Well, I grew up in Boston and um, I grew up just in those story Irish Catholic neighborhoods that uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck do movies about and uh, Martin Scorsese nailed it with The Departed. Watching The Departed, I was watching all those characters and thinking, I could put names to every one of those people. <laughs> I grew up with them all. So uh, then I went to uh, college bank went to States and then Took me on a journey uh, across the country. So I lived in Los Angeles and Atlanta in addition to Vermont. So um, my work's taken me around the world too, which is really kind of fun. So so tell me a little bit how you got into working with adults and children with learning disabilities. I really can't say that it was any conscious choice. Uh, after I finished college, I realized that I was interested in how we learn stuff. So just my own uh, journey to um, to learn stuff to figure out the world. I get curious as to how other people do it because it seems that I was really different than a lot of people. Even you know my peers, people who were my close friends. I took in information differently. Was curious about different things. In short, Farley, I was did perceive myself as normal. Do you think I was making a, a right accurate observation? Yeah. Well, well, I just got interested in that, so I thought I wanted to teach to figure that out. And so I had an internship in a high school. And I thought, no, this is too late. I've got to start earlier. So then I got, got into a program for elementary early education. Was interested at first in, in how we acquired language and then got interested in uh, reading. And then once I got interested in how we acquired literacy or really reading and writing, Okay, why do some people have a really hard time doing it? What's that about? And so that got me into what people were calling learning disabilities. I very early on thought uh, people don't have learning disabilities. We have teaching disabilities. Uh-huh. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> um, so we're, uh, uh, but we were putting it on the learner. You know, it says the learner had a learning disability. I say, no, we have a teaching disability. We're just not putting this stuff out there in the right way. So I was working on, on that. So here's so here's one of the very powerful things that happened. I had this third grader in my class who was really struggling with text. And at some point, I realized we had... We were presenting tech in three different levels. We were we were putting stuff out there where kids would read a sentence and then um, and then respond to the sentence. Then we had stuff where they'd read a paragraph and respond to the paragraph. And then we had the traditional you know pages of text in in, in books. And I realized this young this young man was that was doing just fine with the sentence level stuff, struggling with the paragraph and just completely collapsing when it came to books. So this will tell you how far back this was. We just we the school had just gotten someone actually a parent had donated this amazing device that allowed you to put a piece of paper on a piece of glass, close the lid, and it would copy it. You know, just push <laughs> out the end, a copy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you've seen these. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so this one had this amazing feature that it would 
increase the size by, by two. So you could put something in and it would um, and it would blow it up so that the, you know, so that it was larger. So you could make the text bigger. I um, had taken math in school, so I realized that I could um, double it, but then I could put it back in and double it again. What I did was I took the 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 paragraph that uh, this child was struggling with, put it in the photocopier, doubled it, uh, put it back in, doubled it again. Then I cut out the sentences so that they were individual sentences and pasted them on a piece of paper separately. And I took a full page of text and did that, blew it up so that it was large, uh, separated the sentences so there was space in between them, pasted the sentences on a piece of paper, then photocopied it again so that it would, you know, be neat, you know, be tidy. It just be, uh, you, you wouldn't be dealing with all of the based on uh, things that, uh, you know, look like a hostage letter that someone had written. <laughs> Um, yeah. so, a ransom um, letter. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I didn't say anything to him. I just um, put him in his work folder. When the next work period came, you know, he he was usually very energetic a lot of the day, very curious, always had something going on. But when it came to our reading period, uh, he'd uh, completely go limp. And so he, he came in, sat down, looked at his folder, went limp, kind of tiredly opened it up, looked at what was in there, looked at one of these pages, and he perked up. His energy came up. And he said he looked at the pages, and I he probably had 20 pages. I, I was a madman. I obsessively did this. So he had about 20 pages, and he started reading them, and then put one down, and then reading the next one, put it down. He was like tearing through it. I was so excited to see this, and here I am by myself in a room with 25 kids. I abandoned the 25 kids, ran uh, illegally across the gym. You weren't supposed to run it, walk it, go across the gym with your shoes on. Ran over, found the school psychologist, dragged her back to see this. She and I stood at the door you know, watching him, you know, parents through these pages and she said it was a miracle well it turned out it wasn't a miracle we had just had a teaching disability up until that point what emerged was uh, he had a genetic uh, muscle weakness so it's um, you may have heard of muscular dystrophy it's the progressive muscular dystrophy which gets worse and worse and, and people ultimately die from well, he had a non-progressive one, uh, which was basically muscles weren't metabolizing energy. You know, weren't you know, his mitochondria weren't metabolizing the energy as efficiently, and it was affecting his upper body. And in particular, it, it was it was affecting like the small muscles around his eyes. So he would fatigue when he had to do uh, when he had to do reading, which your eyes have to search and find the letter of the word, identify the letter as a word as a symbol, identify the symbol as a sound. And he had to do that repeatedly. He was fatiguing. And when we, when, and, and particularly when he had to do that with normal size tags, it was just exhausting for him. Blow up the tags and he was just fine. It wasn't as fatiguing. Put space around it so he didn't have to search as hard for for where the word was and where he was on the page, it was less fatiguing, and that's all it took. So it, it wasn't a comprehension deficiency. It was a would you say it was a visual? Yeah, he had a neuromuscular disorder, hmm. which made it hard for him to do to focus his eyes on the close in, in, in the way in order to read small print text. You have to focus your eyes on it, hold it on letters and words, track those letters and words across the page, not drift from one line to another. You have to stay on the line. You have to stay on the word. You have to move from the second word, the third word, the fourth, you know, the third word, the fourth word, the fifth word. 
if your eye drifts in the second word to the fourth word to the sixth word, then you're not going to comprehend. But it's not because you're not capable of comprehending. The problem is holding your eyes and being able to track. So how did the parents react to that? Parents became like Clark's godparents. <laughs> <laughs> they were so grateful. <laughs> my, my son, they're my son's godparents. Yeah, they um, took him to a, a specialist that, you know, so we we just knew that he responded to big tech. Right. So they took him to a specialist, you know, so what's going on? What was it vision? Well, it wasn't vision exactly. It was, it was muscular fatigue. So it was affecting his vision. But again, he had had his eyes at it. There was nothing wrong with his vision. Again, it was, it was, it was easy to find what was going on. It wasn't a, a learning disability. He could learn just fine. And it when the print was large enough and there was enough space. It was basically, he couldn't read small print. The print is when you change the print, the learning disability, it, you know, it, it went away. It went away. It went away. And yeah. so it was more of a, you know, oh, we just got to blow up the text and then he could comprehend. He, did he enjoy reading or did you, did? Yeah. yeah. No, he, no, it wasn't exhausting right uh, um then he did so now here's here's this so here's the story from from my life uh-huh. um so um about uh let's see you know six or eight years later uh so this happened this was i was teaching in cambridge massachusetts at the time in an elementary school now six eight years later i'm in los angeles and now I'm an elementary school assistant principal. Mm. So I go out onto the sixth grade playground before school, check out, you know, make sure, you know, everything's, uh, uh, everybody's behaving themselves. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, be a presence out there. And I step out onto the playground. From across the playground, one of the sixth graders, you know, hey, Mr. Sopper. And and throws a football to me. Well, I have I'm 35 years old. I have never caught a football in my life. Wow. In fact, can't hit a ba- couldn't at that point couldn't hit a baseball. Um, pretty much couldn't catch. It wasn't just football. Couldn't catch anything. Uh, you may you may. Uh, remember that I don't have binocular vision. Yeah. That my two eyes don't uh, converge and track uh, easily, which means I don't see 3D. Right. Now, I, I say that, I say I don't have, say, I see 3D. I have no idea even what that means. I can't imagine what all y'all see. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> When, when you're looking out of out of your eyes, I just know that I've come to understand the way my eyes work. I have a very different perception of that stuff around me. You know, uh, you know, I can, you know, bump into things. It's hard for me to pour into a glass. I have to you know, get whatever I'm pouring right up to the rim so I can see exactly where it's going in. So stuff like that, and it means fast-moving objects coming at me are just really challenging. So um, so here I am out of the sixth grade playground. There's a fast-moving object coming at me. And normally when that happened, and when that happened at that point, I would just kind of step a safe distance away, let it fall nearby, and then um, kind of explain, well, my vision, blah, blah, blah. And everybody would be kind of embarrassing to me Usually it was kind of embarrassing to the person who threw it to me because they didn't want to put me in an awkward position. Right. But here it was. It's just awkward. So, um, so I was prepared for that. And then I see out of the corner of my eye this, this kind of a huddle of the other kids in the playground. And all of a sudden I was back in sixth grade. Hmm. And I could see them thinking, is this guy a loser or what? And I knew what the answer was going to be. <laughs> well, 
I didn't catch that. Oh my gosh, here I am. I'm back in sixth grade again. Um, and um, so I thought, ah, you know, all right, you're gonna be you're gonna be a loser anyway. You know, um, pretend to try. Um, all of this goes through my head. By the time I think all this through, now the ball is heading for my nose at high speed. It's quite close. And what I'd been taught to do to catch a ball was concentrate, keep your eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when I, all of that instruction of concentrate, keep your eye on the ball, I concentrate, no, no, you're not paying attention, concentrate, keep your eye on the ball. No, you're not keeping your eye on the ball. Concentrate, keep your eye on the ball. Well, anyway, all none of that had ever worked. What was happening here is by the time I had done all that thinking, I didn't have any time to concentrate, keep my eye on the ball. I just kind of cut the ball that was coming at me out of my peripheral vision. All of a sudden, it came right into my hand. I cut the football just the way they do on television. So I was so excited I was going to spike it and do the dance just the way they do on television. But then I realized I was going to blow all the cool I just gained by catching it. So I just pretended that that's something I always did, toss the ball back to Raphael. So I said, okay, did that. I don't know what happened, but I did that. And um, I thought I was done. And then Raphael throws it back to me. Hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> Um, so what am I going to do now? How did I catch that thing? Well, I realized I didn't concentrate. I didn't keep my eye on the ball. I took it in with my peripheral vision. Somehow my hands were in the right place and I did it again. So, wow, now I've got a ball twice. But what I had to do was not concentrate and not keep my eye on the ball. I had to kind of take it in sideways. And so now at this point, all the sixth graders are on the other side of the field. Mr. Sopper, throw it to me, throw it to me. <laughs> and now I spend the next 20 minutes doing this Zen thing of concentrating on not concentrating. What's pouring down my forehead, but I'm catching the ball over and over again for the first time in my life. And so what I realized was that the conventional instruction, which works for all the rest of y'all who have um, uh, binocular vision, which is concentrate and keep your eye on the ball, not only didn't work for me, it guaranteed that I would fail. I needed somehow different instruction. And I stumbled upon it by accident. But it wasn't that I couldn't catch, which I had believed all of my life now up until this point, was that I couldn't catch. It's that I had the wrong instruction. Instruction that didn't work for the way I take in the world. And as soon as I accidentally stumbled into the way I need to catch because of the unusual way I take in the world, I was perfectly capable of doing that thing, which I'd never been able to do. So I didn't have a learning disability. I, I, there, it was a failure. <laughs> no, no one knew how to teach me. You think of yourself as well, having I a learning disability a or not having a learning disability? The world that doesn't fit into the way it's it's not um, normal. So the normal way of teaching somebody to catch doesn't work for me. It doesn't teach me. So do I have a disability? Um, well, I have a disability, I guess, if no one knows how to teach to it then yeah, then I can't do the things that other Mm -hmm. people do. And that feels like a disability. But if, and that's what I feel is going on with so much of, well, this student has a disability, this student has attention deficit disorder, this student has autism, this student 
this person is this, this person is that. No, this person is this person. <laughs> they they do stuff. They perceive mm-hmm. the, yeah. they don't perceive yeah. the world the way you do. Uh, they perceive the world in a right. different way than you do. That's not a disability. That's that's like freaking amazing. So right. tell me what you see. You know, I uh, tell me how you perceive the world. What's interesting mm-hmm. to you? Uh, and we have all of these really fascinating humans out there who we can stand in the same place at the same time, look in the same direction, and we take a different sample of what's out there. The universe is throwing all this stuff at us. We only see, only take in a, a portion of it. You know, a bloodhound saying, I'm, I'm olfactory disordered because I can't smell anything that it smells. The bloodhound can, could, you know, I, I have to call Farley on the telephone. The bloodhound could find you by following your trail. You know, uh, which one of us has the disability? The bloodhound can't use uh-huh. the cell phone, you know, but I can't, uh, I can't sniff the ground. <laughs> which one of us has the disability? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no, we we got different stuff going on. <laughs> um, um, if I need to find a lost child, I need to hire a bloodhound you know, because it's got something going on that uh, the humans don't. It, what's amazing is that yes, we all stand it. We can stand in the same place at the same time, look at the same direction, and we're all taking in something different. And sometimes, you know that what the person next to me is taking in is similar enough to what I'm taking in. You know, we're taking in uh, kind of an overlap of stuff, you know, that's similar. And sometimes the person is, what they're taking Mm -hmm. in is so different. You know, I can wonder if we're the same species. Um, But but that's just, again, I'm just curious about that. I don't see that. Uh, as a difference or a disability when I'm standing next to somebody and they're taking it in differently. It's like, okay, what do you got? You know? <laughs> this is what I got. What do you got? Driven my life. Uh, uh, you know my wife, Susan. She says, I interrogate the universe. And yeah. I yeah. kind of do because I know the universe is up to something. <laughs> I, <like that. laughs> so, um, I want to know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where were you on the night of September 11th? You know, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what 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 was going on that day? It's um, uh, yeah, I'm just curious. And yeah, when I come across somebody who's really out there, I want to I want to talk to him. I want to hear it. I want tell me your story. Um, What's going on with you? What do you see? What are you feeling? I want to know. So do you think today, um, do you think that today uh, in 2020, do you think it's, I, uh, do you think it's easier to have a learning disability? Do you think we're more open society? I, I feel like, uh, you know, um, you know, because I went to schools with kids with learning differences, and I felt like it was hard to explain to people what a learning disability was when you're out in the general public. And I feel like today that the kids are more accepting. And that's just my experience. I feel like we're in a. I think with technology and the way we communicate, I think I, it's definitely I feel, opened How up. do you feel about it? So, what do you think? There's more, um, there's, yeah. there's more acceptance of difference. There's less trying to push people down one size at all. But I still hear people identifying uh, as a disorder. I hear people, you know, there's a, a whole movement around uh, ADHD. You know, I have attention deficit. Well, what, what does that mean to you? What's, well, um, I have a hard time holding my attention on one thing. Well, what are you paying attention to? Well, I'm paying attention to all of these things. Well, you have 
an attention right. surplus. You don't have an attention deficit. Um, your attention goes to many things. Well, when you're driving an automobile at high speed, you need your attention all over the place. You need to be paying attention to what's in front of you, but also the car next to you that might be drifting too close, the animal that's about to jump across the road while the radio's on, the, the phone starts to ring, and there's a truck roaring up behind you. Um, and now your attention is all over the place. But that's what's keeping you alive. That's not a deficit. That's not an attention deficit. You don't want your attention stuck just on the road in front of you. Now, when you're trying to solve a math problem in the exam room, maybe you want your attention stuck on those couple of uh, square centimeters in front of you where the where the problem is uh, resides. But most of life, you need you you need your attention all over the place. You can't walk down a city street without your attention being all over mm-hmm. the place. That's not a that's not a problem. That's not a disability. That's the way our minds work. So yeah, you may have a mind that jumps from this to this to this to this. That's not a deficit. It's adaptive in some circumstances. It makes it hard for you to do other things. But that's life. We do some things more easily and other things harder. What's easy and hard for me is a little bit different than what's easy or hard for you and what's, and what's easy or hard for her and what's easy or hard for that one over there. That's just the way it is. That's not a deficit. That one over there doesn't have a disorder or deficit. They just, you know, have a different package to understand the universe. We're, we're just little packets of stuff trying to figure out what's going on in the universe. You know, telling someone you have a learning disability... For me, in my experience, it can go two ways. One way, people are understanding. The other way, it can backfire on you and you can get fired or you can get uh, um, uh, ridiculed or just, uh, you know, you're kind of put in the back of the class and the teacher or the boss or the director or the whatever is uh, directing you. uh, If they don't have knowledge of it, they, they can end up, you know, uh, just dismissing you and kind of making you feel you like you're, do, you're, you're, you're less look than. up John Powell at Berkeley and he runs an, uh, an organization that he's calling Othering and Belonging. He's looking at this in a very powerful way. He should be way more famous. You know, he's well known in important arenas, but we should, everybody should be listening to him because he's talking about, uh, he's hmm. recognizing that we as humans have these boundaries around what, you know, people we think of as we uh, belong with, belong to, you know, uh, well, I, this is my family, these people, you know, uh, I belong in this group. I belong. I I live in this town. I belong here. I have a uh, racial ethnic identity. I belong in this group. How is talking about expanding our circle of belong? Because what we do is we we have the people. We identify the people who belong, and then we identify others. The whole learning disability thing is, well, you belong because you do these things easily. So if you process text easily beginning at age five, then you are literate. You belong in the literate group. And that makes other school stuff easier for you. So now you are belonging in the scholarship group, which then you belong in the educated group, whatever that means. And if you don't fit in with all that, then you are an other. Oh, well, you have a learning disability. You have attention deficit disorder. 
you're illiterate, uh, you're uneducated, all of those othering identities that we put on people. It's a tough one because humans do this othering, belonging thing. We, we seem to want to have a circle of belonging and have other people, other people, others out there outside of that circle that they're not us. There's us and there's them. Paul's really done some very important thinking about this. And, and it applies to just about every <laughs> uh, human in, endeavor. Like what's going on with how we learn, but our, uh, as they say, our racial and ethnic uh, identities, our political party identities, all of these identities where we're, we have this sense of we're, this, this is, these are the people who belong, those are those other people. Yeah, our sexual identities, it's just everything um, uh, shows up here. Most of that language, mm-hmm. okay, so we include more people as learners. Okay, so you dyslexic, you're dyslexic, so that's an identity. Um, mm-hmm. Your attention deficit is an identity. But those identities are still being identified as a problem, not as you know, you're, it's not like you like to draw, you like to swim, you like to run. Those aren't identified as you like to draw and don't like to swim. You don't get identified as having a swimming disorder. <laughs> right? And if you, if you like to run and don't like to draw, you don't have a drawing disorder. It's just, you know, you're wired, you know, to right. have an interest or preference for different kind of stuff. We're, we, it's hard for us as humans not to do that othering and to see that thing that's not yeah. what, how we're organized as uh, somehow a problem or something less or something, a condition that needs to be coped with or overcome. Yeah, so look up John Powell when after this is over. And anybody out there listening, go find John Powell. Yeah. Othering yeah, yeah, and I, belonging. I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Frank, this makes me think of um, uh, the way I perceive the world. When I look at someone, I, I even yeah. don't know them. I sit there and I think about their biography or who they are. And sometimes I see people and, you know, uh, it makes me think about, a lot of people who are maybe in jail or people who have real struggles and they never got the, they never learned how they learn. And so they got into crime or they got into, you know, the easiest thing they could do because they didn't have the right uh, training or the right person to come in and say, Oh, this is how you blow up the text. Or this is, um, you know, uh, for example, when you were talking about in the beginning, how you're talking about, that guy uh, blowing up the text and made him, you know, enjoy reading. It, it made me remember when I was going to school, uh, I, you know, I struggles with reading. They, so one day they're like, okay, uh, we're going to try this, Mr. Burge. And I go, okay. So I go in this little room and they put this little headset on and they make me listen to, I think, a five minute or seven minute story. So they made me listen to it. I listen to it and they give me a test. Da, 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 da. I got a yeah. hundred. They're like, what? You know, like if they would have handed me this, I would have, uh, I probably would have made a D if I'm, you know, if I'm lucky that day. So they were like, oh, okay, you made a hundred. So then, okay. So then the next day they kept on doing, I kept on making hundreds. And so one day the teacher's like, look, I know that you're cheating. There's probably some way they're cheating. I'm like, I'm not cheating. I just listened to it and I answered the question. So they had someone sitting there and would watch me for like the next three days and they're like, oh, he's an auditory learner. And, but that's how they discovered that. But they, in the beginning, you know, they, they, you know, were putting me on trial as a cheater until they had like, literally Frank, they had someone sitting there glaring at me the whole time. I'm trying to listen and taking the test. Cause they thought I had some, you know, some kind of 
thing I was doing, but that's not right. what I was doing. No, they, <laughs> and it made they me think about that. A you bit. were an outlaw. They weren't. They weren't letting you into the circle of belonging. <laughs> you know? You're taking in information differently in a yeah. different media, so that makes you a possibly an outlaw. Yes. Um, yes. Um, I know. Isn't that awful? Yes. You know, and what's so frustrating about this, William James uh, was a Harvard professor in the 1890s, and he's he he is widely considered the originator of modern psychology. Brother Henry James is a famous novelist. Now, Henry James is known for having written any number of important and influential books. Turns out um, Henry didn't write a word. He composed his he composed his books. What? He had over the course of his writing career, he had um, three note takers or, or scribes who he would pace the room and talk out his stories and these scribes would capture it and write it down for him. And then uh, and then, you know, he would edit and you know revise and speak. He actually did he's considered a famous writer, but he didn't write. He had people who wrote for him. And and he spoke. He generated the ideas. Uh, he generated the thoughts, and the, but he did. He had right. people capturing it for him and putting it into text. Now, in if he were uh, a thousand years earlier, he might have been um, a famous bard who would go and and speak these poems like Homer. You know, he would. Uh, he might. These, he'd be, he would be the storyteller or the bard, and it would have all been oral. And and so here's the flip side of this. I had someone come to me who is a member of the uh, uh, Ojibwa um, tribe, and they're trying to capture the stories from the elders. Now, the elders insist that these stories be only passed down orally. Younger person who's trying to receive the stories from the elders so that she can carry them down. The elders don't want her to write them down, don't want video or audio recording. They insist that she spends the time with the elders and learns the stories, essentially hears them, learns them so she can speak them. There's no, uh, they consider that putting it into text uh, or video or audio recording, you'll lose the spirit of it. Our work together wasn't her learning to read. Our work together was her learning how to hold the story in her memory without any technological assist. But just capture the story, capture the spirit of it, uh, capture the words so that she could hold it and convey it to the next person. Now, would that be like a tactile type of learning or would that be a movement? She, like how did she, had, she get those she, stories? Yeah, it, well, it, it was in, inside one of her. She had to listen and hold uh, hold the message. Yeah, you know, uh, stories get told. They're they're information packets, and so she had to take in the first packet of information, and then take in the second packet of information, and then be able to relate the first packet of information to the second packet of information, so she could convey first the first packet, then the second packet. Then she had to learn the third packet of information, and then bring the first second and third together because the the people who were teaching her understood that these packets of information had a flow. They had a sequence. The information is delivered 
in this sequence of packets of information. The culture that I was raised is this, you know, text is deified almost. You know, it's uh, she's from a culture where text is mm-hmm. text is mistrusted. They were mistrusting your te- your teachers were mistrusting that you were learning this information orally. Well, maybe Farley, you should maybe you need to to. Uh, Go spend some time with the <laughs> elders because you might fit in better. <laughs> because they're they're preserving yeah. this oral culture. There's all this, these different ways of taking in information. The universe is presenting all of this stuff to it, and we have our own way of sampling it, and then our own way of conveying that sample that we take to others so we're figuring that out well what we're figuring out was some of the how that works and it turns out we have two processes that do most of the work of of managing information for us and five that do most of the work of transferring information in and out you know as humans it's it's basically our um yeah, you know, we have our five senses. Yeah, um, and our five senses do most of the work of getting information in and out. It turns out we have something analogous to our handedness, and that so for me, uh, the the right side of my body is a, is more responsive than the left side. Uh, my wife, the left side of her body is more responsive than her right side. Well, we have something like that with the various forms of information that we transfer. So um, what you're describing is um, you're taking in information um, by ear is more responsive than you're taking in information through text. Um, and, um, And so we developed a way to measure that. And my work since then has been to help people understand um, how they preferentially take in information, how they preferentially think about it. Um, So they start... um, uh, using that to their advantage. So, a um, hundred years ago, if you were left-handed, well, the way to use uh, a pen was considered, well, you have to use your right hand. Hmm. Um, so, if you weren't right-handed, <laughs> <laughs> you had to learn to write with your right hand nonetheless. And then at some point, we figured out, no, someone who's left-handed can write perfectly fine. <laughs> um, let them use their dominant hand. Well, this we have these invisible preferences to the way we manage and transfer information. And my work since then, in the, in the you know, 20 years since then, has been to help people understand these invisible but powerful preferences for information we have so we can understand what, you know, what are the drivers of what catches our attention, what misses our attention, attention, what raises our energy, what depletes our energy, so we can get more in alignment with ourselves and how we receive information from the universe, how we convey information from other people. And then that allows us to be more understanding of the person next to us who is doing that a little bit differently. And so we're trying to make those differences visible so that, again, we're trying to expand the circle of belonging. Yeah. That that, person next to you is taking in different stuff, thinks about it differently than you do, and it's 
expresses it differently than you do, but you can still communicate with each other. Yeah. You're going to be communicating differently, but you can still communicate effectively. And that's, that's really been my life's work um, for the past two decades. It's kind of like some people like to text and some people like to uh, do phone calls and some people like email, but we're all, you know, you're sending, it's your guy get messages back and forth to each other. Yeah. And it's actually, uh, there's even some profound ways that um, we actually don't experience time the same way. The time that's measured by our clock, we actually as humans don't perceive time moving in that way. We have um, very powerfully different experiences of the movement of time. And and so in sort of generally divide with people who can whose experience of time more closely matches clock time so that they can actually feel the movement of time moving forward, where many of us have an experience of time in the moment. So we don't feel time passing. We feel events passing. But when we're fully engaged in something, we're so fully in the present that we don't feel time passing. And all of a sudden we look up and, and it's getting dark. And we say, well, what happened to the time? Right. Well, Nothing happens inside. You are present for it, but you weren't feeling it passing. Isn't that a great date? Is that a flow? What, what do they call that date? Uh, well, there was a uh, the, there was a researcher, Milhai Shikshamilhai, who, who used the term flow, and that was actually the title of the book he wrote. And uh, flow does his description of flow actually does match up with those people who are live who experience time as a is fully present. And so that's the experience that we talk about when people in car accidents talk about, oh, time moves in slow motion. Mm. Or sometimes we'll hear an athlete talk about uh, being so engaged in a play that they felt as though time moved in slow motion. Well, it turns out it's just that time didn't move in slow motion. It's that they were fully present for all the small things that were happening in that time that they just felt that some of us just have a very powerful presence in time so that so that small movement small movement small changes were very present for so they seemed to take longer and then the flip side of that is when time seems to race by. Yeah. Again, we're fully present, but we're not remembering the small movements or we're not alert to the small movements. We're living in the big um, events that are happening. And so we're moving from, we're experiencing large event, large event, large event. And then all of a sudden the day's over because we're experiencing the events passing and not time passing. Uh, and sometimes we're experiencing small events uh, passing, which makes time feel slower. And sometimes we're experiencing large events, which makes time feel fa- move faster. Uh, but again, as humans, we're sitting next to each other and, you know, we're uh, sitting on the same train, but we're experiencing time moving differently. Well, we actually can slow time, our experience of time down if we if we're more attentive to the small events in our lives. So, yeah, that's the weird thing. We could both be in a train. The train's going to arrive at the next station at 6.42, and maybe it's uh, 4.15 now. But you and I are going to have a different experience of that distance between 4.15 and, what did I say, 5.52, right. it might feel longer or shorter to me than it does to you. It might feel more eventful to me or, or less eventful to me than to you. 
Ah, it kind of reminds me of uh, one time I went to New York City with a friend of mine, and he spent all his money, so we had to take the train back. So when I was in boarding school, and he had to go, yeah. he had to go sit in the bathroom and lock the door <laughs> so he didn't have to pay for a ticket, and I got to sit. <laughs> And, and we both had two experiences and every time someone uh, so I sat right by the bathroom so every time someone would come and knock on the bathroom I'm like oh he's in there uh, oh he's really got to oh he's sick so, to make sure that you know he ended up not yeah. having to pay for the ticket and so we were both having two experiences and right. Right. He got, I got to look out the window he got to be in the can for I think three and a half yeah. hours he, Yes, he probably had a very long experience at that time. Right. Yes, right. Focusing in all the the minutia right. of that. Yeah. Right. Where you get to have a more expansive awareness of it. Yeah. But I kept on That's, playing defense, making sure that you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody that's, kept him. Yeah, but that's the amazing thing. Even something as simple as time, we experience it differently. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, technology has helped help people with learning differences. I don't know. I love living in the modern world. You know, all of you know, all of all of these technologies, um, you know, give us an opportunity to to do some stuff that we couldn't otherwise do. At the same time, technologies just are just tools. They're they're only as useful as what we make with them. Right. And so I think it does allow people to to make stuff to communicate more richly and effectively. But um, but yeah, we're communicating like crazy right now. Um, are we? Is it bringing us together, or is it is it creating othering, or is it creating belonging? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a great question. And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, putting up a post, uh, on Facebook, you know, to a friend, uh, for me personally, I think having, like, we're having a conversation right now. I feel like we're connecting right now compared to if you just yeah. wrote me a thing on Facebook or whatever the platform is at this moment that people are on that maybe I don't even know, uh, you know, it'd be like, Oh, Frank wrote me a nice message, but doing this and having this conversation back and forth exchange, to me, uh, is more powerful. Yeah, so we're able to use this right now to create belonging with each other. And and I hope belonging for the people who are listening out there who are going to join in and listen to us. Yeah. But yeah, that same technology is creating a lot of othering right now, too. <laughs> so. Yeah. So you started OpenBook or did you start uh, GTD? What, which one, what company did you start first? Well, we started, yeah, we started Open Book Learning first, okay. um, uh, looking at, and this is what we we're doing. We were, we were trying to teach people about, uh, about to give people a more expansive awareness of the different ways we take in information. And then we partnered with a group uh, who were doing an educational software uh, that was teaching reading, writing, speaking, and listening in a multimodal way uh, using text, text read aloud with visual images, video images. So it's really doing a multimedia presentation tech to allow a richer integration of reading, writing, speaking, and listening. And then, and that was a open book learning. And then we partnered with David Allen, who's written a book called Getting Things Done. And and, uh, and for other business books, David has a really expansive approach to understanding how to deal with the stuff of your life. Right. And it's a very non-judgmental approach for just looking at what you're trying to do and accomplish. And what you're trying to do and accomplish always comes down to a next action. Right. Uh, a thing you do. And then a next thing you do, but uh, and David really teaches you to to look at all of this complexity, but really try to bring it down into what is the one thing you're trying to do right now, and then what is the thing that's going to follow that one thing that you're going to do right now because that's the thing you're going to do next. And it's it's really wonderful. It's a very simple 
straightforward approach. So we've we've incorporated that into the work, and that's called our. Uh, so we do that under a brand we call GTD Focus, and now we're doing the work of understanding your particular alignment of your time, attention, and energy. So this is the stuff that's you. What catches your attention, what misses your attention, what raises your energy, what depletes your energy. You know, what is your unique filter for all of the information coming to you and how do you filter it back out? And what we're trying to do is to get people to what we call kairos. It's the Greek word for the optimum thing at the optimum time. So that you want to use the stuff that's you in its optimum way so that what you're doing is really what's optimum for you mm-hmm. and not what's optimum for somebody else, uh, but for you. So is what are you, is what you're doing right now really in alignment with what your best stuff is, you know, that, that you're able to do being, you know, you're able to do being Farley. There's just unique stuff that Farley can do that Frank can't do. And Frank, there's stuff that Frank can do that, that, that um, wouldn't interest Farley. So Frank wants to be doing his Frank stuff and Farley wants to be doing his Farley stuff. And right now we're bringing, you know, Frank and Farley stuff together in a really cool way, but you're not doing it Frank's way and I'm not doing it Farley's way. Mm-hmm. We're we're sharing our stuff. Now, are you guys hooked up with other HRs, with other companies that say, oh, you know, we had this guy come in, let's just say his name is Billy, and Billy came in, and he's a really great guy, we like him, but, you know, he has a different learning, um, ways of learning. Um, do you help people in each HR or do, or would that person come to you and say, Hey, I'm working at this company and I need to figure out how I can keep my job because I don't want to lose my job. And how am I going to be able to, you know, keep up with the amount of work that I get weekly or monthly or whatever the way the company works. We work both ways. We're mostly working with individuals um, to help you get yourself in the right place and, in the first place right so so that you're but we're also trying to expand the awareness in organizations because uh any place where people need to work cooperatively we're we're showing you okay here's an an invisible dimension you're you're going you're, you're trying to get people to work cooperatively if you if you're trying to do that without making, without understanding this invisible dimension and these invisible differences, you're, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and people can see, well, it's all this stuff that's not working, you know, and, uh, uh, and we don't know why, you know, uh, well, because there's a lot of stuff going on that's not, visible but we can show it to you we we can make it visible for you and we can make and we can help you see the patterns of what's going on so that you can be more effective and really our goal is to um to make all of that human communication that we do more effective so that we hear all that beautiful stuff we have in in a in a more rich way it it makes me think of uh, i had a friend of mine who i grew up with and I was telling him about having, you know, being dyslexic, having a learning disability. And he was, he shared me, shared the story with, he came to me and shared the story with me. He, um, he's working at this Chinese restaurant and they hired this new woman to work and yeah. she was struggling with learning the menu and they were getting ready to fire her. And they were talking to my friend about it. He was working there and he said, Hey, uh, can you just give me like 10 minutes with this girl before you fire her? And they're yeah. like, okay, okay. So he went over to her and he goes, you know, he's, you know, he really good communicator. And he's like, do you have a learning disability? She's like, yeah, I'm dyslexic. And she goes, and he goes, okay. Um, so he goes back to the, the manager, the owner and says, look, give me two days to work with her. If we can't get her, you know, running and 
figure out things, then we'll just let her go. So he sat down yeah. with her and he read the menu to her, explained everything to her, and she got she's you know got the job and she ended up being a great employee. And he said that was such an a. Uh, he said if I wouldn't have known you, Farley, I probably would have just said let's just fire the girl. But yeah. because I need you and I and I know someone who struggled with reading and writing and and had learning differences. I, he said, I had a hunch this woman was struggling the same thing you you struggle with. And yep. and that's what this communication is about. It's And you don't know how it's going to affect, how it's going to go out there in the world. Yeah. And how, you know, this helps someone get a job at a, you know, a Chinese restaurant. And it probably helped pay yeah. for her college or, you know, I don't know this woman. I don't know this, you know, we don't know. But that made her life and it made her yeah. feel more comfortable to talk to another person about it and not lose a job and not. Yeah. And, yeah. Instead of, Oh, this person is some kind of other and, you know, cast them out into the outer darkness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> how do we expand belonging? Uh, how do we, how do we help her belong here? Right. Yeah. And that's a beautiful story. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, see, that's what we want. We want to push it out into the world to impacting people in ways we don't even know. Right. We, we didn't touch it. Yeah. So Frank, I, I want to transition and I want to ask you, uh, is the audience, is the Odyssey still your favorite book? Oh, I've got a new, um, translation by Wilson. He's done a beautiful new translation. My, my favorite had been Robert Fitzgerald, but, um, She's nailed it. So it's so interesting you ask because I have um, two books that I'm kind of living with and visiting with right now. Uh, Emily Wilson's translation of The Odyssey, and there's a new translation of The Book of Job, and it's mm. uh, late at night here, so I'm going to forget the, the name of the, <laughs> the translator. Uh, but it's the biblical book of Job, and uh, the... Uh, this translator has done an amazing translation of this very interesting, ancient, and um, strange book of the Bible. Uh, so I've been, uh, I've had both of them closed. Now, one of the things about Emily Wilson's uh, translation, Odysseus is introduced, and he's, and in the very first line, the word used to describe him is a Greek word, polytropos. And poly is many, and tropos is turn. And so the struggle with the translation is what did polytropos mean mm. to you know the mythological Homer, who's considered the author of... Um, of the Odyssey, what did it mean in ancient times? What did polytropos mean in, in ancient times? And there have been something like 60 um, important English translations of the Odyssey uh, over the years, and every one of them has a different um, uh, word for, or different translation for polytropos. And Fitzgerald's was um, the man skilled in all ways of contending. So it's like anywhere you, any direction he turned, he was, uh, he could go. Hmm. Uh, Emily Wilson um, uh, translates polytropos as difficult. And she says, uh, tell us, Muse, of that difficult man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, I think she's got it. Um, uh, but that's kind of, it's so interesting you ask that, Farley, because that really is the cap on what we've been talking about. We're polytropos. We're, we're, we're many turned. You know, we, we turn in many directions. We, we contain multitudes, as Walt Whitman said. And that makes us difficult, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we're um, um, we're we're difficult, and that's um, uh, and 
yeah, and that's why it's work to stay alive every day, right? Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, Frank, so for the listeners, if they want to go to your website, get in touch with you, what, what are all the avenues they need to take? Uh, probably the, the simplest way is um, it's uh, kairoscognition.com, and it's K-A-I-R-O-S. C-O-G-N-I-T-I-O-N, KairosCognition.com. Look, uh, there's not a lot of Frank Soppers in the world, so if they do a search for Frank Sopper, <laughs> <laughs> um, they'll probably find, uh, find, uh, find me, find stuff we're doing. But, yeah, I'd love to hear from anybody who's listening to this podcast. Yes, uh, hopefully you will. I, I think you will. And... Uh... I just want to say it's it's just been amazing having you on the show. You've been you're a big part of my life, and you've taught me so much. And I keep learning every time I have a conversation with you. I'm like, oh, I gotta write that down. Oh, I gotta look up that person. And uh, it's 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 amazing. You're uh, an amazing human being, and I am just on honored to know you. And and I love everything that you do. I love that you you know, what you stand for and, and you keep learning and, you know, there is no plateau. It's a, you know, we just keep learning and growing and, you know, things that we thought were right today can be wrong tomorrow and there'll be a better way to, to, you know, there's a better bridge to take. And that to me is what an open person to me is someone who's open and somebody who is, you know, people are like, Oh, that guy is so smart. Well, to me, my definition of smart is, are you teachable? Are you, is your mind open? Can you, can you walk into a place where it might be a little uncomfortable and learn something? And that to me is where I, I see, uh, is intelligence. I, that's what I see in you. I see uh, your curiosity for, for everything is beautiful. Well, thank you, Carly. And I really, I'm grateful to you in my life as well. And, um, uh, and, uh, you, uh, that, that, uh, even though we've, crisscross the country we keep finding each other and keep connecting and keep staying focused and uh i'm glad you're reminding us reminding us all and reminding me not to kill ourselves today (laughs) (laughs) we have we have we have we have something to do today you know and uh so thank you for reminding me that my life has meaning every day yeah and, and you know and and down the road I I, I want to have you on the show again to see see you know this is kind of like a uh, a chapter and then you know a few sure. months from now we'll do another uh, podcast and we'll see you know where you know has the needle moved are we still in the same place and I believe the needle probably will move because you know we're and, we got some big events coming up in our lives and and maybe we'll do the next one in the middle of the day instead of the middle of my night yeah see. yeah yeah Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, I just want to say thank you so much. That 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 that's it. Yeah. Do you have any anything you want to end with? Anything you want to say? No. That just uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. Thank you, Frank. All right. Good night. Uh, Take care. All right.